This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, Justin. Hey, man. What's up? So uh, how, was your, uh, how was your holiday? Are we talking about holidays? Like it's, it's by the time this is on the air, this is probably like at least February by now. So uh, my holiday is a long time ago. I barely, yeah. barely remember it. Well, uh, I, I got to tell you, man, I feel inspired. I feel, I feel so inspired. Uh, opportunities happening everywhere. And uh, I have to tell you that, uh, you know why I'm inspired? It's, it's because, uh, you know, those guys that say that they can take a laptop and work anywhere and make money from the beach. That's me. You know, that's me. That is you. That is you. Except, except, except I work from my home in where I've always lived my entire life, except for that part. That's true. That's true. But you're <laughs> kind of by the beach. So close enough. True, true, true. But this guy, this guy is actually, he has laptop will travel with his family. That's what I, I want to like, that's the next thing I, I want to do. And uh, that's who we have. I'm so excited. So do you want to know who it is? Yeah, let's go. All right. Well, let's play some theme music first. And then I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Andro Sturgeon. And I am Justin Womack. We are the Marketing Geeks. Marketing Geeks. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, all right. So uh, our first guest, well, our guest for the show, uh, George, George Clooney couldn't make it. <laughs> um, is uh, is an author of uh, a book called Screw the Zoo, which, which when, love that title by the way, love that title. Yeah, it, it was it, it wasn't what I expected. I actually expected something else, but but uh, this, <laughs> this this book actually the content of this book really, really oh it's the book. I think I looked at the wrong one too. Yeah, okay. that that's not my arrest record. <laughs> uh, but uh, but but uh, this guy wrote this book, and he is also an SEO expert and he lives a nomadic life with his family where he just like makes his money doing what he does, traveling around the world, doing it, man. Like this is how it's done. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam McRoberts. Awesome. Thanks for having me guys. Thanks. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Uh, really appreciate it. So, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about this because uh 
you know, the dream of every digital marketer is to do what you're doing. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, based on what I didn't cover there? Well, how, how did you get from where you started to this uh, nomadic lifestyle that you're living now, like an, as an expat? Oh, goodness. It was a long, winding road. Uh, I've always been a bit um, restless. You know, I if I stay in one place too long, I just I, I get itchy. Uh, and That's really weird. Really weird. Most entrepreneurs like love like monotony. It's strange. <laughs> <laughs> and thankfully, my wife is the, the same way. And so about two years ago, eh, probably about two and a half, you know, we made the decision to plan it out and start traveling around the world. And our original goal was to do it for at least four or five years, see if we could make that work. Uh, and so far, you know, two years in, I think we've been to 13 countries, 14 or 15 cities. And it's, it's awesome. I mean, I wouldn't trade this for anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what were you doing before that? Like, how did you, uh, how did, how did this whole thing get started for you? So, I mean, a long string of jobs kind of led me into this, but it all started back in high school. I had an English teacher who challenged me to learn how to build websites and write copy for them. Weirdest, weirdest thing ever, but hey, extra credits, extra credit. So I did. And at the same time, you know, eBay was just getting started. And my mom, who always loved going to garage sales and finding cool stuff, uh, started up an eBay business. So she'd find something interesting at a garage sale and turn around and flip it for more on, on eBay. So I'd help her, you know, write listings and research products. So that kind of got my feet into the industry. Um, so what year, what year did you graduate high school? I'm just curious. Cause you're probably pretty close to me. I graduated high school in 2001 and this was in, this was in 99. Ah, me too. It was exactly the same year I graduated high school. So that's why. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking the eBay timeline matches up. This all matches up. Okay. Got it. Yep. Yeah. I've been there since the early days, you know, back then SEO was stuffing keywords in funny places and getting links from any directory you could. <laughs> and a visit and visit text. Right. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not much to it. Uh, Things have obviously changed since then, but starting in probably the mid 2000s, I started doing this full time um, and have stuck with SEO and various facets of digital marketing ever since. But for me, it's, it's just it's a really cool puzzle. It's fun to play chess with Google. And so this is uh, it's what I do, more or less. I figure out what, what, what moves Google's about to make and head them off at the past. So, so were, were you ever a person that had like a normal job and then you were just like, oh, to hell with this. I'm going to do this other thing. Or did you just like always have the entrepreneurial spirit? Or college too. Did you, is there any college in this story also? There was uh, two semesters and a term worth of college before I quickly realized that there's absolutely nothing college had to teach me <laughs> that I was interested in learning. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I had a, a string of normal jobs. You know, this you know, was a side business for me for the longest time. Uh, and anytime I was in between jobs, this was my full-time business. But I haven't done anything but, but voodoo marketing since middle of 2017. Um, I, dude, I hated, I always hated having a normal job. Stuck yeah. in an office, 40 hours a week, cubicles, total crap. I hated it. And, you know, it was never a question of like, will I get out? It was always an, a win, always a win. Man, I, it, that's exactly same scenario with me. I was, I, I, you know, I would always have these jobs and kind of go, oh, that's a pretty good job. Wonder how long I'll be here. But in the meantime, I'm always digging a hole underneath my poster of uh, Lana Turner, you know? <laughs> Such a good movie. Shawshank Redemption is great. Yeah, man. I get the, the, get the geek reference. But uh, so so anyway, uh, so there was no real like 
big transition. It was more like you, you kept moving forward until you didn't have to have the job anymore. Yeah. You know, I reached the point in 2017 where I actually made more money from the side business than the full-time job living in downtown Seattle. And it was like, all right, we can, we can make this work. So you started Voodoo Marketing and that's uh, V-U-D-U marketing.com. Now, isn't there a, isn't there like a video player or like a, wasn't there another company called Voodoo? Who was first? There is. Uh, I think they were first. And that was okay. one of the reasons I did it. So I was working at a small agency and one of the clients, we were explaining something and the guy was like, yeah, I don't care. This is, this is all voodoo to me. You guys just make it work. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's cool. Voodoo marketing. And then around the same time, there was the video streaming company voodoo that I think later got bought by Walmart and maybe just recently got shut down or something. Yeah, I think they just recently went down. They're, they're gone now, I believe. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, all right, well, that's a cool way to spell it. And maybe the two will like connect in people's minds. So it makes it easier to remember. So I went with that. So uh, you, you mostly do SEO. You do like uh, SEO audits, strategy consulting, uh, but you also do training. So was that something that you added later or was that kind of something that you built out in conjunction with the business as well? I added it later. I mean, there's always like a training component working with any sort of clients uh, in the digital marketing space. But I actually went around, you know, it was probably early 2017, I started building out uh, an SEO training course that was the kind of thing I wish I'd had in the very beginning, because I learned this stuff piecemeal, you know, forums, random blog posts, trial and error. Yeah, exactly. Not the best way to do it. Not the most. Yeah. When you got started, though, like when you came out of high school and kind of started your own little side business, did you go right into SEO or did you start like a blog and then kind of just try to rank that naturally? Like how, how did this start? And how did it evolve into SEO? Because even though your high school teacher told you to um, write mm -hmm. web copy, it doesn't necessarily take you straight into SEO. So where did that come from? No. So, I mean, I'd been on computers since late 80s, early 90s. Yep. Watched all the search engines grow up, Lycos and Hotbot, and most of them were were garbage. And then you know Google comes along and changes the game by using links as part of the graph. So I start building these websites, and this is right about the time Google is taking off. Uh, and so I'm like, all right, well, I'm, I'm making random sites about random topics. You know, not really making money for it from it, like stuff that interests me, stuff that interests my friends. Throwing them up on like the free hosting on Fortune City and GeoCities and uh, trying to find it, right? Like, all right, I put up this site. Like, how do I find it? You go to a search engine. Oh, it's not there. Well, what do you do? And I think there were, you know, a small handful of people who were starting to blog or talk about it on IRC and just kind of picked it up. But it didn't become a, like an actual business focus until probably 2007, 2006. Yeah. I started, yeah, I was, I was in college. I was majoring in philosophy. I hated it. I love philosophy. just hated college. Uh, <laughs> And realize like, you know, there's, there's nothing that they're teaching here that I actually want to do for a career. And around the same time, I got a job working at this small web design agency and they did web design, pay-per-click, SEO, social media, you know, ran the gamut. I was like, well, this is interesting. And as I started digging in deeper, I was like, oh, well, some of this is familiar. Some of this is new, but like, this is something you can't learn in school. And that seems like a really good thing to have under your belt. So I just stuck with it. Um, Sure enough, you know, learning skills you can't pick up in any sort of formal institution is uh, quite lucrative. Yeah, no doubt. And and so, uh, how, what what is your what do you use for your platform uh, for your online curriculum? Uh, Teachable. Okay. Okay. 
uh, we've had we've had a couple of uh, our guests say that uh, that was the way to go. One of them built this whole preparatory system uh, for his learning curriculum, and he, he said at the end of the day, I should have just used Teachable. If I had to do it again, that's what exactly what I would do. So, um, uh, so okay. And and uh, for those of you who don't know, Teachable is a way that you can do online curriculums fairly easy. It's a platform designed just for that. So, uh, so what was, what was the moment that you decided to take this next step, which was, you know what, I can do this from anywhere. I'm going to, I'm going to just do it. And, uh, uh, what was that conversation like with, with your wife and, you know, you have, your son was younger then. So how did that idea form and why, why did you do that? All right, so this was actually kind of a long, a long runway uh, with multiple false starts. So in 2007, the four-hour work week comes out. Oh yeah, uh, it stands out on the shelf to me. I'm like, well, that sounds a lot better than 40. Pick it up, read it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I got to figure out how to do this. So I started leveraging what I read from that to get the agency I was working at at the time to implement a remote work program. So I was one of the first two or three people to pilot this remote work thing. Nice. I, I immediately went from the 40 hours a week to working for maybe five to 10. Uh, and the way this agency was set up was every deliverable that went to clients had a fixed amount of hours attached to it for billing. And so as long as I was billing 40 to 50 hours worth of tasks, nobody asked me how much time I was spending. So yeah. I was incentivized to find a much faster way to do it. And nobody at the company cared because the work was high quality and on time and, you know, sufficient. And ultimately, uh, I just want to say people pay for results. So I, yes. I don't think I think like this idea of getting caught into how many hours something takes is kind of a ridiculous notion, because if you're really good at something, you can do it faster. Shouldn't you get paid more? Exactly. I, I, yeah. So. Because because what you're. What you're also paying for when when you charge that amount of money, uh, what the client is paying for is all the hours that you had to struggle to to learn how to do this stuff that when it wasn't available. Yeah, what's the old story about the guy who comes to fix the photocopier? Oh yeah, right? like yeah, you know, it's like we we paid you how much to fix that? It took you five seconds. He's like, yeah, well, you paid me because I knew how to do it, not right. because of how long I spent. You, you knew which I, I knew which screw to turn. That's what yeah, you paid exactly. me for. Yeah, I think the story I heard was like it was uh, here's the invoice. It's a uh, it's a penny for the uh, the screw to actually do this, and then uh, the other nine hundred ninety nine dollars is for that lifetime of expertise that I've amassed over my life, right. <laughs> over my history, which allowed me to know which screw to turn. Exactly. So, uh, so you, you, uh, so what was, so what was, was there a moment when you're like, you know what, I want to get out of the United States or, or, uh, you're leading up to that. Yeah. So, all right. So read the four hour work week. And one of the ideas he planted in there was one of travel and it's something that I'd wanted to do. I was like, all right, I think at some point that would be fun to do. Well, not too long after that, uh, you know, we, me and my wife, we talked it through. Like at some point, we definitely want to travel, but not yet. Don't have enough money yet. So put it off, put it off, and then ends up deciding to have a kid. So right about the time we find out we're going to have a kid, I get laid off from that job. So I'm like, all right, well, this is a good time to do at least a test run of like full remote working. Let's see if I can get the, a business off the ground and run it. No, uh, I absolutely was not ready at that point in time. So I made you know a little money, but nowhere near enough. So I went back into the full-time workforce provide for the family, did that for a few more years. And then in 2014, uh, late 2013, I left another agency that I was working at and we decided to travel. So packed everything up, took my kid who was three at the time and off across the pond. We started off in Italy and we ended up spending about two months before we called it quits. Traveling with a three-year-old is 
no fun. <laughs> it's like it's like traveling with someone who took all the acid and didn't leave you any. Yes. And now you've got a babysit. Yes. It was that's yeah. what it's like. It was too much. You know, like I was I was earning enough money to make it work, but it was just too difficult to travel with a child that young, at least for us. And so we're like, all right, back to the US. Uh, we'll try again when he is older. And we set somewhere between like seven and nine, you know, eight-ish, give or take, depending on how he's doing, to do that again. So Went back to Seattle, another job, another job after that, all the while building up the, the side income more and more. And then in 2017, mid-2017, I was working at a startup. And man, me and the CEO, we just butted heads on everything. And finally, I was like, listen, man, if you don't back off, I'm going to deck you. Like, I can't take any more, of your, any more of your crap. Like, the guy was just, dude, he, yeah, it turns out he was had some family personal issues going on like but it was it was serious like yeah. he was just he was an absolute asshole to everybody when you, when you take these kind of jobs are you, are you independent contractor or are you actually an employee for these companies full-time i was salaried uh i think all of them have been salaried roles i think okay um uh, but yeah i just you know like i'm i'm not a violent person but this guy just pushed all the buttons yeah and and when that happens i mean when i i've had that happen to me a few times i i, I agree with you not a violent person but uh what i do is when that happens i'm just like what is what is the universe really saying to me at this moment right <laughs> like how how yeah. did this situation pull this like dark behavior out in me. And yep. that's when you do the reevaluation. Yeah. And so like over the weekend, you know, I was like, you know, it's time, it's time to quit. I'm done. So I come in on Monday and they're like, uh, we're letting you go. I was like, perfect timing. Cause I quit. So <laughs> that was that out the door. And I was like, all right, you know, let's start socking away, like earn as much money as we can, as fast as we can start packing up our stuff, selling stuff. Like we're, we're gone. We're bouncing out of the U S Yeah, and we did. So about six months later we took off and haven't been back since. Wow. And where'd you go? Where'd you go from there? We went to Costa Rica first. And then, oh, I love Costa Rica. You know, like we actually didn't enjoy it. Really? Uh, yeah. I mean, the, it was fun swimming in the ocean and all like the, the sharks and the rays, but dude, the, the humidity and the bugs were just, yeah, insane. the bugs are a little out of control. That's true. Like, yeah, it just, it felt, it felt kind of sketchy and yeah. being hot and sweaty, no matter what time of day or night and all the bugs, it just, we couldn't do it. I totally so we're like, all right, yeah. the tropics, the tropics is not for us. And so after that, we went to Spain, which is much more our speed, really nice beaches, no bugs, not very human, much better. Um, and then we've just been bouncing around Western Europe ever since. Nice. And where are you right now? In Croatia. Croatia. How's that? It's actually pretty good. It's a little chilly. Yeah. I'd say the weather is very similar this time of year to Seattle, uh, but less rain. But we, we really like the city. They have some really cool Christmas markets. Uh, public transport's pretty solid. Good food options. A bunch of play places, like indoor play places, which my kid loves. Yeah. And, you know, ironically, the internet here is actually pretty good. We have a hundred megabits uh, no conne connection here. So, yeah, you know, you'd be surprised. Like the best internet I've found on all our travels was in Bucharest, Romania. Wow. Oh, I, yeah, that's, 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 that's wild. You wouldn't think that, but I understand that Bucharest has a, uh, there's like a, a kind of a tech hub over there. Yeah, there is actually, there's a lot of Microsoft, I think has a place there. Nike is there, a bunch of other companies. Well, let me ask you this. So how are you, um, now that you're on, on the fly, you're, uh, traveling the world. So how, how are you getting your clients now? I imagine that SEO is going to play into this. Um, but tell me, tell me like, so how are people finding you? What kind of work are you doing? Are you doing a lot of like consulting? Like, um, are you doing like zoom calls or zoom consulting or like how, what, what kind of work like fills your time and how are you making your money primarily these days? 
Yeah, so almost all of it comes from audits and strategies. So, you know, a one-off productized service uh, and the leads come, ironically, in the SEO space. Relatively few leads come in from actual SEO. It tends to be word of mouth or speaking at conferences or past clients coming back or making referrals, that sort of thing. Podcast interviews. Podcast interviews. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the vast majority of mine just come from a network that I've built up over the years. And I also do a lot of white label work. So I have a bunch of different agencies who use me to do audits for their clients. Smart. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And it, it's uh, the public speaking, you know, and you're a published author, which gives you credibility. We, we talk about that uh, a lot and uh, on the show. Uh, we, 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 and, and we talk a lot about writing a book ourselves. I mean, we really we're talk so, about We're so it. close. We're so we're so good at talking about it. You should do it. Um, yeah, we should. You're right. We should. And so we're going to talk about and so that. So we shall. <laughs> but uh, 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 actually, look. I want to I want to do this. Uh, I want to take a step back here, Sam, and I want to talk a little, get into the tactics a bit because uh, a lot of the listeners who listen to the show are interested in the tactics. They want to learn. Okay, like you're an SEO expert. Teach me a few nuggets of SEO. And, and I realized like that's not something that we could do like in, in short order. But if you were going to give like, uh, you know, your, your two cents to somebody that's uh, wanting to kind of get into this, maybe they have a slight background in SEO, but not like an advanced, advanced one. What, what are like the, what do you see as like the key focus areas for search engine optimization and in going into 2020 here? Yeah. And, 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 and just to, to piggyback off of that, yeah, the trends, because you've seen, you've seen it from when, it was like keyword stuffing all the way up to where it is now. Yeah. So not only from black hat to white hat, <laughs> right? So not only like what are what are the kind of with the new uh, Google just did a, a an update of their uh, of their algorithm. So not only like what that is, but what you picture beyond that. Sure. Uh, ooh, that's a lot. Okay. I, I I think the best place to start is by understanding Google Google's business. Right. Google makes their money from advertising. They get people to look at their ads and click on their ads by showing them really good search results. So Google is in the business of answering questions as uh, accurately and efficiently as possible. And that's the way they think of it. Every time somebody goes to Google and types in something, they're asking a question. And Google's in the business of serving up the best possible answer for that question, hopefully with some ads on top of it so they make some money. And so... Really, over the years, all Google has been doing has been optimizing their algorithm to better understand the, the two halves of the equation, to better parse and understand what somebody means when they search, because some of those searches can get really wonky, and to match that up effectively with the best possible answer of everything that they've combed on the web, which is you know trillions of pages of information. And so Google has been working diligently to get better at matching up those two things. And a big part of that has been their investment in artificial intelligence, right? You know, natural language processing, image recognition, uh, better understanding everything that they've crawled and scraped and mined, as well as what people are typing on a day-to-day -day basis. So most of the updates that Google has made over the last few years have actually centered around that. They've been, I'd say, one largely one of three things. Either getting rid of sites that are blatantly trying to manipulate them, uh, better matching up searcher intent with answers, and uh, prioritizing sites that provide a really good user experience that aren't frustrating in any way, shape, or form. 
So those are the three things that Google cares most about, right? Get somebody an answer that's accurate, get it to them fast, make sure they're not frustrated in the process. So as an SEO, really, you know, your, your job is to help people to make sure they're creating content that does a better job of answering a, a question or a search than the current content that's out there that does so fast and painlessly and making sure that you include all the little bits that help Google to understand what's there. And this is this is all kind of led to this transition from uh, black hat SEO, which were the the kind of shady tactics like way back when, like using invisible text, keyword cramming, like manipulation of the system to get rankings where now they actually want when somebody searches for something, they want them to have a quality experience and get their questions answered. So we're actually moving into this stage now of uh, fulfillment on uh, what the on user intent so uh, are there are there still black hat techniques that you see out there that are working or is this like almost entirely now a white hat system that um, just has a, you know, the, the key focus now is like on content and just like keeping your pay, your, your page speed optimized, things like that. Or, or tell me about a bit about that. I mean, there's still some black hat stuff that works. Uh, most of it tends to be in the sphere of link building. You know, mm-hmm. buying links, link networks, private blog networks, that sort of stuff. And, you know, Google's getting better and better at catching that. Like when you have an enormous mountain of data, it becomes very easily to spot anomalies. So yeah. especially on, on the link building side, like it's not hard to spot a site that is subpar, but seems to be getting a ridiculous number of links and from crappy places or strangely connected sites. Like they're pretty good at finding most of that. But sure, you know, there's still some things on that front that work. And there's still some like technical and in some cases outright illegal things that tend to work. You know, there's some things you can do on the hacking side or the malware side that can using bot networks to do searches and click on search results and manipulate dwell time and like that type of data signal. Yeah. There's there's stuff you can do, sure. But so there's still people ahead of the curve, of course. Always. Okay. And most of those are in like pills, porn, and poker. <laughs> of course that is my saturday night man <laughs> so that's the so, name of his book not our uh, book but his book that's right that's right i'm, I'm writing in crayon <laughs> so um uh tell me uh what what do you where, do you have a bead on like where this is going ultimately like where do you see the future of seo uh being because i mean basically what you said is what you know we've said a million times on this program, which is, you know, the key to a good SEO is create content that will, you know, answer the question. And the the, the deal is to find the question that people are asking the most. Uh, but, uh, and, you know, doing your research to find out what the, that, that those questions are. But where, where do you see the, the future of this going? A couple of things. I mean, Google Google's showing a lot of what they perceive to be the future by how they're changing their search results. So seeing a lot of like knowledge panels and really short answers uh, showing up directly in the search result. I would say if your if your website or your money comes from answering very simple questions with very short snippets of text, you're screwed. Uh, short, mid, and long term, uh, as Google, you know answers those questions themselves, right? Like it's in their best interest to keep people on Google and show them more ads. They don't, they don't really want people to leave and go elsewhere. And so the more questions they can answer quickly and simply, the more they're going to do so. Um, we, yeah, we had, we had one, one uh, SEO uh, guy on our show who said, 
where do you hide a dead body? Page two on Google. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. I mean, the vast majority of organic clicks stay on that first page. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's definitely me. If I'm, if I'm searching, uh, I don't find it on the first page. I might look on the bottom to see what, if maybe it's phrased differently, but usually I'll just reframe my search and stay on page one. Can we talk about a few tools that you might use? Like we've had, we've had people on the show that have talked about software like Ahrefs or uh, SEM Rush or some of these kind of SEO optimization tools for both content and for keywords. Yeah. Are you using any tools like that? Um, can you share a few with the listeners? Yeah, those are great. So the tools break out into a few different pieces. You have keyword research tools, you have link indices, uh, and then you have like crawling and technical analysis tools. So in terms of links, uh, Moz, Ahrefs, Majestic, and now SEMrush, uh, each have a huge database of links. They crawl the web a lot like Google does and pull down data on who links to who using what anchor text and when it appeared. Uh, so those can help you to understand how things are linking to your site, how your competitors are linking to what or getting linked to by what. Uh, and then you can use like SEMrush or Answer the Public or there's a ton of others for keyword research to understand exactly what keywords people are looking for and how frequently, roughly. Um, and then you have like technical tools. So things like Screaming Frog or Sitebulb that can help you to pull down the sort of technical data from a site that Google would be looking at. Um, those are all tools. What does what what Sitebulb do? I haven't heard of that one. Sitebulb is a lot like Screaming Frog. So it's a crawling tool. Uh, it goes through the site, it crawls link to link, and it extracts all of the data from each page that it hits. You know, how long the crawl okay. took and how many images are on the page and what the URL and anchor text and alt text and all the other tags and SEO bits in the code. It pulls it all into a database that you can then analyze and sift through to find problems. And, and do, you, do you see page speed as like a, a key factor these days? It's, it seems to me that it's yes. pretty important. Yeah, they just keep dialing up the crank there. And, if, yeah. you know, if, as you think about it, like more and more people are using the web through a mobile device. A lot of those people are in countries where the mobile speed is not great. And so in order to provide a non-frustrating experience, faster sites are better. And finally, people are starting to buy from mobile devices. For a while, it was like they would search on mobile, buy on desktop. Now it's pretty much all mobile and, and soon it'll just get more and yeah. more and more and more and so that's yeah. that, i mean you you have to you have to design the site for a, a mobile first experience no no doubt about that so yep. well let me ask you this uh as far as uh like your um let, let's say that that two things number one i have a client and the seo isn't that great but i find like i see that other sites are linking to certain pages that are giving them higher ranking how would you get your site listed on those sites? What do you do as a, as a strategy? Well, I mean, the most common is to reach out to those sites and say, hey, you know, we see you've covered this company here. We, we have a similar article or a better article. Uh, would you link to us? You know, in some cases, just asking is sufficient. But that tactic gets used a lot. And depending on the site, it could be oversaturated. Webmaster could be sick of getting requests like that. So usually it's better to use some honey. Um, you could send a gift basket, you know, Hey, we love your site. We think you do really great stuff. Uh, thanks for doing what you do. You know, people will feel a need to do reciprocity. So like, well, wait a second, like, who are you and why are you sending me a basket? Oh, you know, well, we're in this industry <laughs> and we've seen you cover our industry before and we really love what you write. So thank you. And now it's all of a sudden like, well, 
maybe we should write something about him because that was really cool. Oh. <laughs> and by the way, you owe me. Even though you don't owe me anything, you owe me. But like, yeah, <laughs> yeah leveraging that need, that reciprocity, that need to like balance the scales can work. Yeah, um, I, we, we've, we've talked, we did a whole series on the uh, influence tactics in the book Influence by Robert Cialdini. So we did a whole thing on the law of reciprocity a long time ago, but we did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was definitely, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great technique to help influence people. And what, what do you, what do you do if your site is on a low ranking site that might be dragging down your SEO? What do you mean? Like your site itself is not good or the links or the, the links. Yeah. So you're like, uh, your, your site shows up on a bunch of low quality, <laughs> uh, links. How, is, is that something that you just ignore and move on from, or is that something that you try and actually get those links removed? That's an, it depends. Uh, you know, if it's a handful of crappy sites that just appeared one time, you can probably leave it. Google's really good at filtering out that sort of stuff. If those links are rolling in steadily over time, using keywords that you're actually trying to rank for in the anchor text, that might look to Google like you're the one doing it. So those are, mm. those are some you might want to look into disavowing. Um, but is that how you crush your enemies? You're like, you know what? I'm never going to rise above this company, yeah. but I'm going to take them down. Yes, actually. I mean, negative SEO is a thing, even though Google tries really hard to pretend that it's not. And that does, that does seem to be one of the keys. It, you know, if you do something that's likely to get somebody penalized and you do it consistently over time, the same way that they would do it if they were doing it for themselves. Yes. To a degree. Wow, that's crazy. So that's SEO, crazy. Sun Tzu, the the art of war, and SEO. Okay, uh, that's also using the dark <laughs> side of the force. So if you tend to be a light worker and you know you want to be in integrity, don't do that, folks. Be you know be in integrity. That's that's a public service announcement. I, I mean, I, I've had people talk lightly about this, but I've never really gone in depth conversation about like this whole attacking SEO thing and like and like purposely creating negative SEO for somebody else. So that, it's, that's a fascinating topic. It works. I mean, I've tested it. it. Like it's a thing. Google's tried again to get better at it. So the last time they rolled an update to their Penguin algorithm, which deals with link related stuff, and this was years ago, they made a switch where instead of penalizing a page for the links pointing to it, they just ignore the links instead. And they do that for the most part, unless you're doing something very egregious. Uh, but that was why, because it was just too easy at that time to do exactly what I just said. And it can, still, it. it can still work. It's less likely to, though, because of how they handle the links. But that's, I mean, that's one of many, many ways to do that. Now, have you noticed any, any, major, um, any major changes with the, with the advent of voice technology and or like not the advent, but like the, the way it's taken off? Everybody's got a smart speaker in their homes now. Um, I know for years we had Siri on our, on our uh, iPhones. Um, and I know that there's a thing, I figure, I think it's called uh, like natural language or, or what, they, what they call semantic it. Speaking. Semantic speaking. Semantic, yeah. semantic speaking. So how has that impacted things or is that mostly just getting picked up by AI? And uh, can you talk to that at all? The second one, really. I mean, voice search hasn't taken off the way people have expected, which kind of makes mm -hmm. sense. Um, yeah. I, I think down the road, it may be a bigger deal, especially once things like augmented reality actually grab a foothold. <laughs> uh, actually, you like have devices that you can wear that don't look ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my, I mean, so we, we did, a, we did a, a prediction show like a couple of weeks ago. And my prediction is that voice technology will not take off because I'll feel like an idiot if I'm like, no, I want to see the monkey video out loud on the subway. <laughs> yes. and, you know. so, so I think that's part of it. There was actually a company at CES this year that has a, a functioning contact lens augmented reality display, which was kind of cool. Oh, they do. Oh, that's uh, cool. Because we've talked about that for a while, a contact lens. That makes sense to me. 
Yes. Yeah. I, I, mean, I had not seen anyone do it yet. Okay. Yeah. I, th- I think it'll follow the trajectory of, you know, glasses with some sort of an accessory pack and then just glasses, eventually contact lenses. And if, you know, Elon Musk has his way, some sort of brain yeah. implant. Uh, definitely brain, definitely brain chips are the way to go. Neuro, yeah, Neuralink and get that sure. thing inject, get that thing implanted into my brain. I can't wait. I know he's going for version one. I'm like, no, man, you got to wait for at least version three or four. Come right? on now. Yeah. No, no, no. Because as soon as I get hooked up to the machine, I'm going to be so smart that nobody will ever be able to catch me. And then I'm going to sabotage everything else and nobody can catch up. Right. And you know what? Unless it's running a program that makes you think you're smarter than everybody else. When in fact, you're begging your head against the wall going, hey, Elon Musk, Elon Musk, I got a chip in my brain. Monkey video. Yeah, that's probably more likely. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, uh, okay. So I, this is, the, I, this is all like super fascinating to me, especially, uh, with the advent of AI, you mentioned that, uh, you think it will take off, but do you see a point where, uh, a, a, that there's going to be a recalibration of how the internet is done in general? Uh, because, you know, with, uh, Russia and China, Basically, it looks like they're creating their own networks that won't be connected to the rest of the world. Uh, what what do you see the future Internet looking like? You know, I mean, it's probably going to get even more decentralized than it already is. Like originally, the Internet, the entire idea behind the Internet was decentralization. And it's become more centralized along the way due to governments and ISPs. But I, I think it's likely that it will once again fragment. Maybe something to do with blockchain will help that to actually function. Um, but I think it's still, I think that's still quite a ways out. You know, Russia and China are always planning for the worst case scenario because they're always messing with everybody else. Yeah. So, but like as far as search, I think it's going to shift, but I think it's probably going to stay largely the way it is functionally for at least the next five to 10 years before we see any major, major changes. So do you think that uh, AI will ever replace you uh, at all, replace like the SEO people? Or do you think that uh, there's going to be a need for human input always? It's hard to say. I guess it depends on how good they get at making AI is not a black box. You know, if it can explain clearly why it's spitting out what it's spitting out, then you don't really need somebody like me. But my job really is to play a translator. You know, I sit between you and Google. Like Google says X, what they really mean is Y, and all the stuff that they don't tell you is Z. And I'm here to help you like parse that and figure out how to apply it to your specific situation and your specific competitors. Um, But maybe, I mean, maybe at some point, I think we're still a ways out. So let's uh, let's say that you are a uh, you're just starting your business, you know, and and you are a person out there, one of our seven listeners, maybe, who is uh, looking to do exactly what you want to do, like get out of the United States, for instance, uh, and travel. What would be the first thing that someone would do to make that shift happen, to make that transition? Like, what would you recommend to somebody? Oh, boy. Um I mean, first, honestly, I'd ask, like, why? You know, why is it that you feel compelled to go off and travel? Like, are you trying to escape from something? Uh, are you just looking to taste what it's like to roam and be free? Because, um, you know, honestly, I feel like a lot of people end up traveling because they're trying to run away from something. And at least to some degree, like, that was also me. I was sick of a lot of the political crap in the U.S. I was sick of being trapped in a cubicle. And the idea of travel, like, seemed like the opposite of that. Uh, 
and I, and I love it, but it's definitely not the life for everyone. There's a lot of trade-offs. Like you're untethering yourself from, you know, your friends, your family, the things that you're comfortable with, possibly your language. Um, and it's not always easy. Like sometimes the utilities aren't great or the internet's not great, or there's problems with traveling or problems where you're staying. So it's not a, it's not a stress-free problem-free way of life, but it is an interesting one. And for me, at least a fun one. Yeah. So, so how would, how would someone kind of like, what would be the first thing that someone would do as far as like the skills that they need? And then, uh, what would they need kind of on their laptop skill wise and the tools in order to do what you do? So, I mean, you're going to need a skill set that can be done from a computer anywhere. So that kind of relegates you to selling products online, be they digital or physical, something in the digital marketing space or something in the creative space, writing, graphic design, videography, things along those lines, uh, so something, if something in there, you know, tickles your fancy, that's probably a good route to go. As for the laptop and programs, I mean, it depends enormously on which of those things you do. But say for me, say you want to get into SEO, uh, you would want to learn the basics of what that means, the places where you could get jobs doing that. You would probably want to start building some sort of a track record immediately. So build your own site, try and get it ranking. Uh, see if you have any friends or family who have websites that they need help with and do that. So you can get some testimonials and some track record that you can point to for other clients. Um, and then, you know, once you feel like you have a decent grasp of the space and you have a little bit of a track record, start putting up listings on Upwork you know, or Craigslist or watching for people who are trying to hire an SEO. Maybe they don't actually need to have somebody full-time. Maybe they'd take somebody as a contractor to start and do that and just rinse and repeat, get experience with clients, get experience, build it up, get bigger clients, get better clients and do that over time. I would not, I would not recommend packing up and traveling until you have at least some sort of consistent income coming in. It doesn't have to be a ton, but at least enough to to float you. I wouldn't just like drop everything with no money and go and like hope you figure it out as you, as you fall. And I, I would agree with that. And I think, yeah, there's some, there's gotta be some level of practicality to it. And, and like, yeah, if you've read Tim Ferriss, the four hour work week, I mean, I think that title gets people so excited, but if you actually read the book, it's a very tactical book and there's a lot, there's a lot to it. It's a very, it's a heavy book. Uh, and some people even don't even want to read it because they get alienated by that title. But it's actually a great, great book. Oh, I loved it. I, I reread it every year. And I, I mean, I've chatted with Tim a, a bit off and on over the years. And it's like uh, people misperceive what the book is about, right? The, the, book is, yeah. the book is about efficiency. It's about understanding all the things that you're doing that you don't need to and all the other things you could be doing that are much higher leverage. And so, you know, the title is very tongue in cheek. Uh, I think he said at his lowest point, he actually got down to just an hour or two a week. But the problem was that he was working like 80 to 120 hour weeks and doing all this pointless, fruitless crap. And once he finally like stripped it all away and got himself out of the inner workings and put processes in place, lo and behold, you know, you're no longer needed for this business you've built to, to function. And I think that's it. You know, it's not that there's some magical amount of hours you should or shouldn't work, but you shouldn't be spending time that you don't need to. Absolutely. Now, one thing I want to I want to address, though, is um, this book that you wrote. You, you wrote the book Screw the Zoo. Um, this came out. It looks like 2015. Is that right? 2015? 2015. 
Okay. So this is like, you had already done a false start with traveling the world, but maybe you were now you were, you were working with somebody else at the time and you wrote this book, I take it. Yep. Like what, yeah. Tell me a little bit about the genesis of the book. Um, I have not read it. It sounds fascinating because it's, it's, it actually gets into a little bit of philosophy. It looks like, which I love and psychology. Um, tell, tell me a little bit about the book and the process behind writing it, like why you wrote it and uh, just a little bit about what that looked like. So, I mean, from the time I was a little kid, I have always had this sense of feeling trapped and uh, feeling compelled to poke at the nature of everything around me, reality. Uh, and so, you know, I've, I've always been searching, trying to understand like why things are the way they are, why things work the way they do. Uh, and I'm kind of obsessed with the movie The Matrix and in particular, the, the documentary. The, the Matrix says in Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yeah, but like the, the Morpheus quote, right? Some rules can be bent, others can be broken. And so that, that kind of is what drove me to write Screw the Zoo. Along the way, I had found a lot of things that people take for granted. They assume they're rules, they assume they're required or prerequisite, and they're not. Uh, and there's a lot of other things that just... There's a lot of things in general that keep you trapped, some of them outside, some of them inside. And if you feel trapped and you're trying to escape, you need to understand what your cage and the bars and the locks look like so that you can get out. And so Screw the Zoo, it's not like it's not like your typical nonfiction book. Like it's not I don't have one premise that I cover at the start and then rehash endlessly until the end of the book to meet page requirements. Uh, it's about 50 different core concepts that stack on top of each other to try and help you to see reality more clearly and then play the game as you see fit once you understand what all the pieces are. So one of the things that struck me uh, when I was uh, doing my research for this podcast was uh, on your uh, front page of your website, which is um, uh, really just, it's kind of humble, just talks about you. But uh, you have a quote by Andrew Carnegie, which says, reality is negotiable. And what does that mean to you? So I think this is, you know, I think of that quote kind of like a Zen Cohen. Uh, there's a lot of layers to it. And, you know, on one hand, it could be saying like, hey, look, you know, like all these things that you accept as necessary or required, like maybe they're not. Maybe you could ask for a little more, or do things a little different. But, you know, going on, going a level deeper, like I couldn't even tell you with certainty what reality is or if we're in it. Right. Yeah. I, totally. I, I don't I don't know that. And philosophy, you know, kind of arrives at the same conclusion. Like all we can know with any sort of certainty is that uh, we appear to be conscious. There's a, a sense of what it's like to be us. That's it. Everything else is built on top of that and is uncertain. So you could right. you could go pretty deep with the quote. But, I, you know, I think Andrew Carnegie, like he he may have gotten it on both levels because what he accomplished was astonishing. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I tend to buy into that, that that reality is spongy and and especially now in this day and age where uh, it's hard to tell what is real anymore. And. Uh, that's not going to get any simpler. We're we're only going to move into a world where reality is completely up for grabs. But I think that also gives us as human beings a opportunity to create a reality of our own choosing. And I I certainly live by this philosophy and and feel that this this version of reality that I am living in is like the ultimate form of where I can go. And from here, I can even make it 
better, right? Uh, and it sounds like you kind of subscribe to that as well. Yeah. So there's there's this concept. Uh, I think it was early last year, maybe late in 2018. Somebody tipped me off to a book called Spiritual Enlightenment, The Damnedest Thing by Jed McKenna. And in that, he has this concept of people are in essentially three buckets. They're They're sound asleep. They are aware within the dream, aware that they're dreaming, or they are awake, corresponding roughly to your average person, your sincere seeker, and your enlightened being. And so, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm in the middle. I, I realize that I'm in a dream and I see that and I can, I can see that reality is not as it appears to be. And it kind of just gives you a very interesting frame. But what one of the things that Jed says in there, he's like, look, enlightenment, enlightenment is a booby prize, right? This is not the thing you seek. It's something like you're compelled to do come hell or high water. He's like, it would be much more enjoyable for you to just enjoy the amusement park, right? Have fun in there. Realize that you're in a dream and just enjoy it. Have fun. And I think that's a really good attitude. Like maybe we're in a simulation. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's a game. Like, I, I don't know. But I'm here. As long as I'm here, I might as well have fun and make the best of it. Enjoy the the experience of of where we're at. Sure. And even in the, even on a scientific level, like our brains are only capable of interpreting like only a very very small fraction of the stimulus around us. So it, it does seem that there's there's another layer that we just are not aware of in in reality, and I, and that's why I. I kind of buy into Elon Musk, who says it's more probable than not that we are in a simulation right now. So, so, yeah. and it's funny. Like when I first heard him say that quote, I was like, "Really? Like, how do you feel? How do you feel comfortable stating probability like that without like sufficient data?" But since then, I've spent a lot of time digging into that that world, and it's like you know, there kind of is some data, and some of it's tenuous. But some of it's also quite, uh, quite astonishing. Well, and, yeah, and especially because you consider that that at at some point humans will create a if we survive this long, will create a some sort of mechanism that will allow us to have a fully immersive experience. It's so real we don't even know that it's a simulation. That's indistinguishable. It's yeah. it, that will happen. So if that will happen, uh, who's to say? It's Why hasn't it already happened? It, it's happening <laughs> yeah. right now. And it seems incredibly reasonable. And, you know, there's there's a lot of little threads uh, that kind of point to that. Like I just just yesterday. So a couple of days ago, I wrote a Twitter thread on a bunch of movies to watch to help you question the nature of reality. And in there, somebody tips me off to a recent movie called uh, The Mandela Effect. I'm like, all right, I've never heard of this. So I buy the movie. I watch it twice yesterday because my mind is absolutely blown. Uh the Mandela effect apparently is a whole series of things that people like in mass tend to misremember. We've talked about it on the show. Oh yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I remember when Chris Christopherson died, I remember it because I, I, I wanted to call my friend who was a big Chris Christopherson fan, but I remember, I remember reading it. And the next thing I know, a star is born comes out and, uh, and, and Barbara Streisand is like hanging out with him. I'm like, how is that possible? He's dead. <laughs> Uh, Lance Hankerson, you know, and I just want to say that we, we didn't, I mean, I have not seen the movie. I don't think Andres has seen the movie, but we've, we've talked about this for over a, you know, over a year before the movie even came into existence. Like, awesome. This was a thing on the internet. So we've been really into this whole concept before the movie. I, I, I actually want to see the movie. Um, but yeah, it will keep talking. Tell us a little bit more about like the movie and what you've discovered. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't believe I'd never come across this previously. Like I watched it. I was like, no way, no freaking way. Uh, the one that stood out to me the most was the Berenstein bears. 
Right. Like, yeah. I, I mean, yep. I remember with crystal clarity reading those books, like all of them as a kid, watching the cartoons, like going to the library and checking out the videotapes. Like, I remember it, man. It was Berenstein, not Berenstein. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I'm 100%. I mean, we're I, we're around the same age because we graduated the same year in high school. Um, I, I 100% remember the Berenstein Bears. Like that was that was it. Like it's yeah. that one. That one blows my mind. And then the other one is the the Monopoly Man with the monocle. Yes. Like I, that one's so confusing to me. And the only explanation that I could give is like I think of like Ace Ventura Two, where he like had the guy with the, monoc- with the monocle and called him the Monopoly Man. And maybe I'm conflating the two or something, but I, I yeah. really don't know how else to explain that. I read one, yeah. I, I read an explanation where they're saying that perhaps you're conflating it with like the Mr. Peanut guy. Uh, maybe, but I don't think so. Hat, like, like, <laughs> no, me neither. Like, you know, and so I ran, I ran a little poll on Twitter. I listed out a handful of these things yesterday and almost across the board, people remember, you know, a different version from what reality seems to show. So not proof by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, there are other possible explanations, but it's pretty weird. It's definitely fascinating. And this is like your glitch in the matrix or what I like yes. to say is if this isn't, if this isn't like a simulation, it's like, we're seeing multiple realities. Like if there's a theory that, you know, every converging, every time you have decisions, Everett's mini world hypothesis. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're seeing all these different converging realities and what it would look like in a different alternate reality. Well, Justin and I always joke about the fact that we know that this has got to be a simulation of some sort because uh, whoever's writing the script about uh, American politics right now is, uh, I'm not sure if it's genius or just like... Well, it's great for ratings, all right? I mean, this is the highest rated uh, season of American politics in a while. But, but, that, but that's, that's the point because honestly, if I had read this in a book like 20 years ago, I'd been like, ah, that's crazy. No one would ever do that. And then... Here we are. So uh, we we I totally buy into this, and I I think that uh, reality is far more complex than our earthworm brains can understand. But uh, then again, I when I did ayahuasca, uh, that <laughs> that uh, and I hung out with a multi-dimensional being. That, that's an experience I don't share with you. That's um, but yeah. So yeah, I, have, that, I haven't done Aya, but I've done LSD. I've done uh, shrooms, and you know, tried a few other interesting substances. But yeah, psychedelics psychedelics definitely make you question everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and uh, uh, the thing is, is that don't, you know, d- don't take this stuff lightly. We're not condoning the use of this unless, you know, you you have everything, you know, a proper guide, a proper set and setting. Yes. Uh, but uh, but the thing is, is that ultimately and they've, the research is coming out now about uh, psilocybin and uh, basically saying that what it does for the human consciousness is uh, quite astounding. And makes connections that are, uh, in some cases, strong enough to overcome PTSD and traumatic experiences. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, uh, that's a whole another you know, whole another topic there. I mean, but there's yeah, there's now there. I mean, there's a whole organization called MAPS. Yep. I don't remember what the acronym stands for, but they are looking at psychedelics as a way of treating mental uh, disorders or. Um, or abnormal psychology yeah. uh, condition. Yeah, multi, multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies. I think. Yeah, um, it's a, yeah, it's, sounds right. I, I've known some <laughs> of those people. A great, great organization. But, but the, but the, the thing is, is that when you do something like this, and and really, you know, again, you have to do it in the right. Like I, I, I didn't. When I did ayahuasca, I went to the Amazon and found a shaman who I could trust. I didn't do it with the guy with the white robe in Ojai, 
because uh, <laughs> you know he did it the most times. Uh, How did you know you could trust him? Did he did he have a good like Google presence or? No, I talked to his assistant <laughs> for a long time, and I it was just like I just felt it. Uh, so, but the but the the thing is is that that particular those particular experiences crack open your psyche to the point where you realize like wow, everything in life is just kind of a program. It's an algorithm. And depending on how much you hang your hat on that algorithm uh, or buy into that algorithm, uh, that that could dictate your reality. Uh, Is there a free will? I mean, obviously, as a philosophy uh, major, you this question comes up. I mean, you know, like depends on what you mean by that, like by default. No, Uh, you know, you're driven. You're driven by subconscious impulses almost across the board. Like, can you take some measure of control? Yeah. But, you know, a lot of that control may still end up being an illusion. Hard to say. Yeah. And I think a lot of the decisions that we make are are under the guise that we think we're making them under free will. But there's so many influential factors that are just subconscious or unconscious to us that are impacting our decisions that we don't recognize. Not to say you can't rise above them if you are to, like, take a step back and get into that kind of state of enlightenment. But uh, many of us never get there. And we're, we're making decisions that are we think we're making, but we're really um, we're really just following orders almost <laughs> i don't know how else to put it yeah well yeah i mean like i think i think scott adams calls it like the moist robot hypothesis uh and in a lot of ways sure you know your your brain is a lot like a computer and you run programs that get loaded on there and that's essentially what what memes are you know any idea that sticks and replicates and so the the i, I have a name i'm a part of this religion i i'm a member of this school or faculty i have this job i'm a parent i'm a i'm a husband like all of these are our roles but they're also programs that you load up and yeah. run and most people are completely unaware of not just the programs they're running but what those entail exactly yeah because you filter you filter all your decisions and you filter some of your opinions through that program hugely so hugely and I mean, yeah. the brain makes so many like sacrifices for efficiency uh, we are, we're never actually seeing reality the way it is, right? Like just because of the brain's mm-hmm. need for efficiency. So it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, and with that, um, we got to close out the show, but I, I love that we started with just like SEO and we went uh, to this whole cosmic uh, place, but before we uh, go, I want to find out where, where can we find you? So, Twitter, Twitter is where I spend the most time. I I love Twitter. Uh, Sam's underscore antics on Twitter. And then, you know, I have a couple different websites. So for the SEO audits and strategies, it's voodoo marketing, V-U-D-U. The book is just screwthezoo.com. And then, you know, if you really want to learn how to do SEO, myseocourse.com. Great. And, and a real quick question, where do you keep up with your knowledge? Like, is there any blogs that you read that you can recommend to our reader, to our listeners, like anywhere that you have your continuing education when you learn something new? So I've actually built out a lot of different Twitter lists of subjects and experts that I'm interested in. And so I, I use Twitter as sort of a personalized uh, reality filter to help me find things from people who I know are experts in their field or who cover topics that I find interesting. Um, Tim Ferriss tends to surface a lot of really interesting things. So I pay attention to his blog and his newsletter. I would say Derek Sivers also covers some really interesting topics. Uh, Naval Ravikant, of course. Um, There's a guy named Rob Reed. He does a podcast called After On that is absolutely fascinating i mean there he goes down so many interesting rabbit holes uh, i would definitely recommend checking that out but 
tons of others, you know, on Reddit all the time, YouTube. Reddit. I got, I got another question for you, though, before we finish here. So I'm looking at your audio book, and uh, it's read by Jim D. Johnston. Who's Jim Johnston? Why didn't you read it yourself? I, I got to look that Random dude. So there's a, there's a program that Amazon does where you can get somebody to read the audiobook and you just split the audiobook proceeds with the reader. Oh, that's a cool deal. So you don't okay. have to pay somebody to do it up front. So I was like, yeah, sure. And I had a bunch of people submit sam- samples. I just liked the sound of his voice. So I had him do it. Jim, Jim cool. Johnson's just got a good voice. Yeah. I like it. Okay. But at some point, you know, I might record it, re-record it and do it myself or maybe do pieces of the book and put them out as YouTube videos. Or at the very least, your next your next book could always be your solo recording too. So. I've so, thought about it. I, I don't know what I would write. I have a couple ideas, but I don't know if I want to do another book, man. That was quite a pain in the ass. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah. That's, well, we know just from trying it. Exactly. That's why. That's why we stop at the talking phase, and we're like, "Wow, now now we got to do all that paperwork." Ah, I got to see what's on TV. But uh, so so uh, well, before we close out the show, we want to find out what are you most geeky about right now? Like uh, TV show, podcast, movie, book, uh, hobby. What's your what's your thing? I mean, honestly, like for probably the last year, I've been spending most of my free time digging into the nature of reality, whether it's psychedelics, simulation theory, enlightenment. I just I'm really, really interested in what's what's real. So I spend a lot of time on that. Was the Mandela effect a good movie or is it just a movie that asks like important questions and it kind of got you thinking? Was it actually a good movie too? I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, I actually really enjoyed the movie. I mean, it might it might be my second favorite after The Matrix. Um, oh, wow. Uh, have, have you been to Burning Man at all? Have you, you taken know, the family to Burning Man? I never have. I should have. Oh, dude, you got to take the family to Burning Man. You have to take <laughs> How many times have you been, Otto? Tell them how many times you've been. Uh, 19. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> 19. I've never been either. So yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Nature of reality, uh, something I'm also very, very interesting. Well, if you, if you come out this way, man, you gotta look me up. We, we have to hang out. Uh, our, our families can hang out. Uh, you'll have a great time. So let me know when you're back in this area. Will do. Uh, Justin, what are you, what are you geeky about right now? Uh, you know, I just started watching uh, you season two on, uh, on Netflix, which yeah. is, you know, about a, psychological killer to like dexter 2.0 i don't really know how else to describe that show yeah. uh cool. you know I, I haven't watched uh, i haven't watched a show in a while i take a little bit of break because i get caught up with work you know unfortunately <laughs> but it's a yeah it's a pretty it's a pretty good show and it's uh it's got uh, the guy that played the penguin and gotham is even in it at one point so uh oh, yeah. robin lord <laughs> taylor that's, nice. that's the guy yeah i i couldn't i saw him on the show and like the mannerisms, like, oh my God, I know that guy, but I couldn't recognize him. He has like bleach blonde hair in the show. And then I'm like, I, when I finally clicked, I'm like, ah, oh, the penguin. He's actually in the, <laughs> he's in the Mandela effect as well. Oh, no way. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Wow. This is a simulated reality. Brand, this is just so synchronicities everywhere. Um, uh, I, I just, uh, I've been watching you. Uh, it's pretty good. Nice, nice show to watch as a, as a couple. If you have a partner, uh, you know, it's a good show to get into. Uh, I, I just watched, uh, I got two things. I just, I've been reading the dark tower series, uh, over the past few months and I just finished the, uh, book five, the wolves of the Kala. And, uh, I don't know if you ever read that Sam, but, uh, that, that gets into alternate universes and, uh, the multiverse theory. And, uh, it's, it's a great story too. So I, I, highly recommend it if you haven't read those i'll have to check it out i feel like i read maybe the first one or two as a kid but i don't think i ever finished it 
Yeah, the first one wasn't that great. In fact, I tried the first one and I was like, eh, but then the second one, third one, they, it starts to get really good, well worth my time. And then finally, uh, I saw 1917 on IMAX. And uh, that movie is a technical achievement. It's, it's so good. I, I highly recommend it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And that's done like it's it's like a single shot or it's the illusion of like a single shot the entire movie. That's what I was reading. Is that right? Yeah, it's 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 this immersive experience. It's Sam Mendes who did American Beauty and Roger Deakins, who's like one of the best cinematographers of like alive today. So uh it's 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 a technical achievement. It's a great film. It's probably gonna win Best Picture. I recommend it very highly. So there you go. That's my cool. I'll check so, it out. Uh, yeah, man. So uh, d- does everyone feel complete on this episode? Anything else you want to add? I could keep going for ages, but this is great. Well, well, we want to have you back on, man. And and like I said, get get back to the Netherlands. We'll do a live, uh, a live remote. I would love it. <laughs> cool. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, another fine, fine episode of the Marketing Geeks. That's right. That that was a good one. Learning all about alternate realities, Mandela effect, what you see in the matrix, questioning reality. Gotta love this stuff. What I want to know is if there is a multiverse, uh, are the SEO techniques different in the multiverse? (laughs) Great great question. If there, I've said this many times because some people know this, but not everybody. I I had a very close uh, near-death experience. And I think if there is a multiverse, this is probably like the one, maybe there's two dimensions where I survived. So this is the one where I get to be in it, though. So it's kind of nice. Except <laughs> except uh, President 45 happened. That's the trade-off. Well, that was the result of my survival. Trade-off. Yes. Correct result. Except into the <laughs> alternate universe. But uh, hey, man, you know, whatever whatever works. Maybe maybe you actually did die, and this is just like your flash, like your life flashing before your eyes. Hey, I, it's very, very possible. I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying that's not the case. <laughs> well, uh, with that, everybody, thank you so much for, uh, you know, please tell people about us and leave a review. Connect with Justin and I on uh, LinkedIn. Connect with Sam. And with that, we are Marketing Geeks out. Stay classy.